This is a special edition of Macro Voices with hedge fund manager Eric Townsend, the premier financial podcast targeting professional finance, high net worth individuals, family offices, and other sophisticated investors. Now, for this special edition of Macro Voices, here's hedge fund manager Eric Townsend. Macro Voices Energy Week, episode 14, was recorded on August 7th, 2019. I'm Eric Townsend. I'll be joined this week by petroleum geologist Art Berman, former market regulator Chris Cook, and commercial broker Pat Hemsworth. Our topics this week include the trade war escalation and where energy prices are headed from here, fireworks on the forward curve, yuan devaluation, falling demand for refined products, and much more. But first, let's dive right into the EIA data this week. Crude oil building 2.4 million barrels, much to the surprise of some analysts. Cushing, Oklahoma still drawing down 1.5 million barrels, but that was quite a lot less than a lot of analysts predicted, and well over a million barrels less than Genscape had predicted with their helicopter flyover on Monday morning. Gasoline building a massive 4.4 million barrels, distillates building 1.6 million barrels. So after several weeks of drawdowns across the board, we've got builds this week every place except Cushing, Oklahoma. The tape action was a nosedive, and that was on top of very weak early action. We actually saw the market selling off very aggressively this morning before the inventory data came out. The inventory just exacerbated the move to the downside. We bounced off of about $50.55 was the low of the day and closed right around 51 spot 20. The five-day gap is extremely wide, almost $3, suggesting that there's probably more bounce to come, but I won't be surprised if there's more downside from here. U.S. production ticked back up 100,000 barrels to 12.3 million barrels. That's a really important sign. A number of people were starting to wonder if we were going to see a downtrend in declining U.S. production, but we're recovering right up to within 100,000 barrels or so of the all-time high set a couple of months ago. Imports back up to 7.1 million barrels, but exports down to 1.9 million barrels. That probably is the reason for the surprise build on inventory. Now let's meet this week's expert panel. Art Berman is a petroleum geologist who spends most of his time drilling oil wells, but he's also become a favorite keynote speaker and consultant to investors. Art put together a slide deck for today's show, and you can download it from our homepage at macrovoices.com. Art, the EIA, published a new short-term energy outlook report this week, full of all kinds of new data on both U.S. and international production. Please give us a briefing on the highlights of this report. Right, Eric. So, as always, there's there's more information than we can possibly absorb, but some of the highlights are U.S. crude and condensate production has decreased for the fourth consecutive month beginning in April. It's not a not a huge drop, but but this particular month between July and June was 300,000 barrels a day. As far as I can tell, most of this is coming from the Gulf of Mexico, although I, I, I can't be sure. 914s lag a couple of months, but that, that, that's my best guess. We're looking at basically a tremendous decline in year-over-year U.S. production. So we've gone from like 1.4 million a day growth last month to about 0.8. So things are definitely starting to to look like the peak was 
key peak of U.S. production was probably last summer. On the world stage, we're looking at 100.5 million barrels a day of liquids production in July. That's down about 320,000 barrels a day, but still about 250,000 barrels a day above the, the year-to-date average. So uh, the, the world is, uh, is, is clicking along just fine. As far as winners and losers, it looks like, strangely, Norway and Canada were the two countries that increased their volumes most in July versus June. Norway went up 184,000 barrels a day, Canada 165. Uh, the big losers... Saudi Arabia down 200,000 barrels a day in July, China down 124, and Iran down about the same, minus 123,000 barrels a day. As far as the countries that have most increased and decreased this year so far, U.S. way ahead of everybody else were up over a million barrels a day year-to-date compared with 2018. And no surprise, Iran is down about 1.2 million. Venezuela, not far behind them, but Saudi Arabia, third biggest loser, down almost 450,000 barrels per day so far. Looking at the big picture, the forecast, if you will, this has changed quite a bit since last month. And basically, world liquids, as far as I can tell, from EIA IEA, OPEC, is probably in a very slight deficit right now, looks to be in a slightly larger surplus next quarter, but basically imbalance for the rest of 2019, first quarter of 2020, and then out in Never Never Land where it's all speculation goes up some. But I think the key for especially interpreting some of the changes we've seen this week, is very, very flat prices. Brent at 55 and uh, WTI at uh, sub-60, kind of all the way out there. Looking at the comparative inventory for OECD minus US, which is pretty important, we moved down a lot. We went down something like 30 million barrels of comparative inventory, but we're pretty much in the same area we were when Brent was 78.79 as far as CI, and yet we're 19% lower on Brent price. So that's the, the measure of how much world has devalued oil prices over the last year. And that is really pretty much uh, the highlights. There's a lot more there, but I'll leave it at that. Thanks so much, Art. Our next panelist is Pat Hemsworth, a commercial broker with Paragon Global Markets. And Pat's decades of experience in both the paper and physical markets give her tremendous insight into dependencies which exist between markets. Pat, it's been a hell of a week in the market. Let's talk crack spreads gone wild. And while we're at it, please give us an update on the really big move that we've seen in the Brent WTI spread as well. Yes, we really had quite a wild week. And, um, you know, I, I want to focus a little bit on products. Thursday, just recapping Thursday, we had the announcement from President Trump that he was um, 
going to impose a 10% tariff on $300 billion worth of Chinese goods, effective uh, September 1st. And we completely collapsed in crude oil and began actually to, to shift that forward curve a little bit. But I was sort of surprised to see that despite the collapse, that product crack spreads had pretty much maintained the levels at which they had been trading. So I thought, hmm, this is kind of an interesting market reaction. However, after the devaluation of the Juan, which I, I suppose the market has interpreted and bond markets, financial markets, forex markets have interpreted very bearishly, the product spreads really came off very, very sharply. So just to give you an example, okay, if we just say take the September crack spread, and this is just one of many different benchmarks that we could use, but the crack spread would be the September WTI versus the September RBOT, which is deliverable in New York Harbor. That's pad one. So that spread had been holding at $19, but had been moving, you know, between $19 and like $19.80 for a while. Just in contrast, the heating oil spread had been trading at about $24. That's the September. When I say heating oil, that's HO, which is diesel. And so we had been at that kind of equilibrium for a while, but just this week, that just collapsed. And on the close, that September RBOB crack went down to uh, 1686. So, you know, some of the reasons have to do with uh, seasonal factors, but I think there are a number of non, what can I say, trade war factors that, that affected that. One is the seasonal shift that's going on. We're getting to the end of summer gas. Other issues relate to uh, PES, which I had talked about previously. We have seen huge amounts of gasoline on the water coming from all over the world. The EU sort of shut off for a while because they, they were tight there, but we started to get more material from them and also from India, India and the Middle East, all converging upon pad one. And we saw that last week with 1.1 million barrels of um, imports of gasoline and this week, 1.2 million. So there's a lot of gasoline on the water. Another factor affecting gasoline and gasoline cracks is another pad one issue, which is the reversal or what can I say? Making the Buckeye Laurel Pipeline, which goes from Pad 1, used to go exclusively east to west, now is, is, has, after a long fight, is bidirectional. So we'll get at least 40,000 barrels per day of product into Pad 1. So that's another factor. That just happened. And third is probably more to do with the wrecking ball, which is the trade war and sentiment. So it's finally hitting the products. One other thing is that the heating oil or diesel is now at a very sharp premium to gasoline. So that's another interesting development that, that happened over the last two trading sessions. Okay, Eric, and we had another really sort of interesting development this week, and that was the dramatic narrowing of the WTI Brent spread. And a couple of things affecting that, you know, we've seen, we had a lot of interruptions in North Sea crude oil, and uh, there was uh, planned maintenance and unplanned maintenance of the pipelines. We had contamination of urals. We had a 
spiking, if you remember that spiking crazy summer where uh, front month spreads were so wild, we're coming back to normal there. We have 12 September cargoes that are being delivered. So that's normalizing in London. And then here we had a big, several weeks of draws and uh, hurricane and also because of the uh, increase of uh, utilization. So those are probably the key factors. There's a lot more to say about that, but just snapshot. Thanks so much for that, Pat. And our final panelist is Chris Cook, a former market regulator with decades of experience in energy markets. Chris, exactly who is being manipulated by whom in this new currency war that seems to be upon us? And what do you believe their objectives to be? Thanks, Harry. That's that's a really interesting question, that one. It's quite extraordinary that, um, you know, China have been accused of manipulation because they've stopped manipulating. That is one of the most interesting pieces of regulation I've ever come across, really. But let's start with the global shortage of dollars. That's due to a bubble in the, the continuing land bubble in the US, if you like, unrepayable debt. And my thesis is that unless there is quantitative easing, this bleeding will continue and the dollars have to come from somewhere. I, I, I actually put the global shortage of dollars down to similar in Japan. That, that's, that's a syndrome. So there's a shortage of dollars. Secondly, China are becoming, in the last few years, increasingly short of oil. You know, they are now the, the biggest buyer of oil. And I think it's of the order of 10 million barrels a day they're having to, they have to bring in. So they're short dollars and short oil. Now, in my analysis, energy is the only hard cost. And essentially, everything else, you know, whether it's land use, it's other, other factors of production, everything else is a matter of demand. So when it comes to imports and exports, we're talking about energy as oil. We're talking about embedded energy. So aluminium is, you know, I don't know, 40% of its energy. Food, well, that's calories again. You know, at the end of the day, most global traffic that we're seeing is energy in one form or another. So we, what we've seen in the last couple of years since uh, the middle of 2017, when I think there was a paradigm shift, this strategy of the U.S. called energy dominance began on the 1st of July 2017. We've seen the price go from $45, you know, this is Brent, you know, $75 at times. So China, let's say an increase of $25 over the price then. Well, that's $250 million a day on 10 million barrels a day. And when you're talking maybe $100 billion a year just on oil. So I think that that is one of the principal reasons for the imbalance in, in trade, which leads in turn to pressure on the on the one. And I think they have um, a vested interest, China, in having the one as you know low as possible because you know the higher it goes, you know, it goes up to six, seven, eight, then the more expensive their um, their oil is getting. So they've been struggling to sort of you know put a lid on it. But I believe that underpinning all this and this is where we get to who is doing the manipulation. I've said for a, some considerable time that the energy dominance and what's happened in the market over the last 18 months, two years, has been the implementation of essentially a peg. The US, in my view, through funding of shale reserves, has essentially pegged the dollar against oil. 
Okay, that's that's what I think the U.S. has done. And I think anybody, therefore, who is short oil and short dollars, and we've seen this with emerging market currencies in particular, uh, anybody short oil, short dollars is going to have a really, really hard time. And I think that's what we've seen. The old foreign exchange relationships, which were purely a matter of forward interest rates, you know, when things were stable in energy prices or relatively so, those ratios, they, they don't seem to hold anymore. Jillian Tett in the FT remarked upon this, I remember. So, you know, my take is that the manipulation, the macro manipulation, as I call it, the support of the price, which, of course, U.S. needs high prices in order to fund shale, and the monetization of oil, which is essentially what they've been doing, which I believe is enronization of, of shale reserves. This, I think, is what is behind this issue that China has. And the only solution that China has is to actually to act on the buy side, to take action to assert buy side marketing market power. And I think that is what they are doing. Maybe we're seeing the beginning of that now. Thanks, Chris. We'll be back with our first topic, which is mayhem in the markets, trade wars, and what else is driving the current collapse in energy prices. Coming up right after this. For our first topic this week, we're going to take on what is going on behind the mayhem in the markets. Is this all about the China trade war, or is the picture a little more complicated than that? Art Berman, why don't we start with you? I know that you follow inventory very closely. A lot of people thought we were going to get another big drawdown, but we got builds across the board. What's going on? Eric, I think that last week we we discussed how we couldn't really understand where all the oil went and why we had such a big draw. I think this week is telling us the answer that basically there was there was a, a, a some kind of an artificial or an adjustment that needed to be made, and a lot of that apparent draw uh, came back this week turned into an ad. So if you take the two together, we're back pretty much where we were two weeks ago. That, In other words, the, the stock draw, the total crude plus product change was plus almost 13 million barrels or a comparative inventory increase of, of 16 and a little bit million barrels. So uh, a huge increase that pretty much canceled out last week's draw. But what's interesting, back to some of the comments Pat made about products, is that every single refined product, except for unfinished oil, had a big build this week. So, And, and we look also at the, the net imports and exports of of crude and products. And, and basically, the net crude was, was, didn't change much, but we had a big drop in product exports. So Pat said we had a lot of product heading for the U.S. The U.S. also put out in the world more than three quarters of a million barrels a day less of product. So that means that it, it, it's staying in storage. And of course, there are, there are revenue considerations related to all that. But I think the important thing for me is there, there are really two or three points that looking at, at comparative inventory, we're sitting right on, on the yield curve, which is, of course, the, the regression, if you will, between price and inventory. The average spot price of 56.55 last week was dead on the curve, exactly where it should be. 
and and looking at at, at front month prices today, uh, we're we're way below. I mean, we're you know we're something like five dollars below. That tells me a couple of things. That number one, obviously, negative sentiment is dominating the oil price, and of course the the futures curves that that we're going to talk about a little bit later. The other thing I note, and I, I've said this in previous discussions, is that we can draw down an awful lot of inventory and comparative inventory, and the trajectory of that yield curve is is so flat that we're never going to get to $80 WTI unless we go substantially below where we've been for like the last 10 years. Now, sentiment can do a lot about that, but if the world continues to look at oil the way it does today, you know, we're, we're kind of range bound between, you know, 50 and, and, and $65. So I think markets are just, they're just not seeing any action on oil. They're seeing the, the, the negative potential for the world economy and they're just saying, okay, we're, we're done here. And, and the price has dropped. Pat, you sit on the commercial trading desk at Paragon Global Markets, and I'm sure there must be a lot of chatter on the desk this week. What are you hearing? Is this driven by China, or is there more to the picture as to what's going on with energy prices? Well, I think, you know, when you say driven by China, I think that all of the world markets are now responding to that in that there are fears of a global recession. And, uh, recessionary deflation. And, you know, we have a number of different countries now with uh, negative rates, and we have uh, an inverted yield curve, and and global uh, equity markets have dropped sharply. So I think what is being reflected in the sentiment, I mean, let's face it, this was a hair on fire couple of sessions. And, um, you know, what happens is that Money management matters also take over. You know, when the market drops so sharply, there's a huge transfer of funds and there's a huge demand for margin calls. So, you know, these moves tend to feed on themselves and tend to be panic driven. And, you know, that's kind of what I feel. I feel a lot of emotion and a lot of fear generating from other markets as well. I mean, we're seeing weird things like gold to silver ratios that reflect, you know, panic as far as currencies are concerned. You know, they're 100 to 1. So that's kind of the the gold to silver. It sort of says, well, the industrial demand for silver is very low versus the uh, kind of quasi-currency usage of gold. So, you know, I'm kind of looking at the surrounding markets and the feeling of fear of um, global recession. Whether that actually happens is another issue, but I'm just going on sentiment. And one thing that Art said that I thought was very interesting, he, he talked about a range, 50 to 65. And we came right down to that, the very bottom of that today. And what it looks like to me is that this panicky sort of sell off we may be seeing some kind of short covering right back to, I think your inflection point art was 55. That also is a, is a Fibonacci number. I think that we could see a rally back to that level just simply on short covering. These bear market rallies can be violent. That being said, there is a potential of breaking that, whether it's just briefly, 
but going back down, this darkest scenario is going back down to Christmas of last year. And that is around $45. So that's kind of what I'm feeling and seeing on the desk. Thanks so much, Pat. Chris Cook, what is your take on the drivers behind all of this carnage and energy markets? Well, my view is it's fin- this is financially driven. The prices down the curve, as we've talked about before, in my view, are almost entirely financially driven. And I think as we see, as, as we see the recession, and I think we are seeing a recession kicking in, and, and I think the reason for the recession is that you've got systemic unaffordability. I think there's a global lack of purchasing power. The structural imbalance in wealth comes into this. And, and I think we are heading into global recession. I think we're now seeing something like $15 trillion worth in negative rates. You know, the, the, the Swiss bonds are negative right out to 50 years, I think, for goodness sake. And, you know, where is it investors are going to go when you see negative rates? You know, they, 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 start, they start looking for, I guess, maybe that's one of the reasons why they're you know, jumping into gold, for instance. I find it difficult to, to forecast what's going to happen next. I do think that we, uh, we're seeing a, um, a shortfall in demand, in particular for finished products. I think that is probably a strategic move on the part of the Chinese. I think they desperately need to have oil prices down. And I think their strategy is to dump products, you know, refine as much as they can and dump products. I think that that is their strategy going forward. We're now seeing the Indians as well. They're chuntering about, well, actually, we'd quite like some of that Iranian crude oil. Thank you very much. Now that the Chinese have been importing more than people think they have. I think we're going to see the, the buy side strike back, and, and that's going to happen via products, I think. I could, see, I could see a massive structural change in markets coming here, and coming sooner than we think. Thanks so much for that, Chris. We're going to move on now to our next topic, which I'm calling fireworks on the forward curve. Listeners, I strongly encourage you to download the chart book that accompanies this discussion. You'll find the download link on our homepage at macrovoices.com in the description of this episode. One of my strongest beliefs about the oil market is that the analysis of the term structure or forward curve is badly undervalued by a lot of traders. You'll hear people speculating wildly, I wonder what's driving the market. I wonder if these long-term pressures that have to do with China or is it short-term because of inventory? Usually, the changes in the shape of the term structure or forward curve will give you really strong clues. And I'm a very, very strong believer in the idea that by learning to analyze the forward curve and interpret changes in the shape of the forward curve, you get an incredibly strong signal from markets. And that signal can translate directly to a tremendous trading edge. So I'm going to introduce some of the concepts that I use in analyzing the forward curve or term structure of WTI crude oil futures. Now, that lead-in sounds like I'm about to enlighten everybody with a whole bunch of brilliance and explain what's going on in the market. Unfortunately, nothing could be farther from the truth. I am really perplexed trying to analyze this market. I'm really hoping that my fellow panelists will be able to shed some light on things that I'm missing. And certainly, listeners, if there's anyone who knows more about this than we do, I certainly welcome enlightenment from our listeners as well. So let's go ahead and dive into the slide deck again, which is titled Fireworks on the Forward Curve, 
the download link is on our homepage at macrovoices.com. On slide two, what we see here is what's known as a forward curve or term structure chart. Those are synonymous terms. They mean the same thing. And what all of these little yellow dots indicate, we'll look at the one in the center first, the one that's labeled two weeks ago. You see at the very beginning on the very left-hand side, each successive dot is a little bit higher than the one before it. That's called contango, when we see each successive dot at a higher price than the one before it. And what that's an indication of, at least in WTI crude oil futures, is demand for storage in Cushing, Oklahoma. And it's a very long and involved explanation as to why that's true. But essentially, the, the way that the market works and the way that the people who operate storage there get paid, there has to be contango in the market in order for the people that are storing oil to store oil. So that is what that usually indicates. And then as we go about six months out on that two weeks ago chart, the term structure, which is the middle one in between the other two on the chart here, after about six months, it's all downhill from there. Well, that downhill where each successive month is lower price than the one before it, that's called backwardation. And it's an indication of expected tightness during that time period. So from about six months out to about a year and a half out into the middle of 2022 or so, the market is expecting that there's going to be a strong demand for oil as indicated by that condition of backwardation. It's pretty typical. Now, what happens is we moved from two weeks ago to one week ago, there was a big rally in price. And when, when you see a move upward in the front month, imagine it as if that very leftmost dot, the front month contract, that's the one that gets most of the trading action. So imagine that this uh, middle curve here was like a paper clipper made out of wire or something, and you're lifting it up by that very first month. Well, what's going to happen as you're lifting it is it's going to bend a little bit. And so some of the contango comes out as you go up in price. Very typical pattern that we see all the time. So as we go from the two weeks ago curve to the one week ago curve, it makes perfect sense that we have a little bit less contango. And then you would expect, as we go from one week ago to yesterday's curve, which is the one at the bottom, we would expect that just as we bent that contango out of the market by pushing up on the front month, if we're dragging the whole curve down by the front month, it's probably going to bend the whole thing. So we'll end up with quite a bit more contango when we get down to a lower price. But what you see here is the exact opposite has happened. Somehow we went way down in price, but the contango is gone completely. The entire curve moved into backwardation. Now, the curve can move into backwardation typically when there's an expectation of a shortage of supply in Cushing, Oklahoma. One of the reasons that'll happen is if you have a big, big drawdown in storage and all of a sudden there's not as much oil in the tank as there used to be and people are getting concerned about maybe getting closer to running out of oil, well, that would describe why you would get backwardation instead of contango. It usually happens in association with prices moving higher but this is going in the opposite direction. And furthermore, the expectations that everybody had of really big drawdowns were not fulfilled this week. We had builds in inventory. And although this is yesterday's curve, if I could show you today's curve, it's in total backwardation. It doesn't even have that, that slight lessening of backwardation. It's just a straight line.
So it's as if the market is telling us that we're about to have a supply shortage. Now, the times that you would typically see this pattern would be associated with something like a pipeline leak, where they're going to shut down the Keystone Pipeline, there's going to be less supply coming into Cushing, that creates storage concerns, and the front of the curve comes out of Contango into backwardation. Happens all the time when there's news to explain it. We don't have the news to explain it. Also happens all the time when the front month is moving up in price quickly. We've got the opposite going on, and normally when you have the front month crashing like this, it would create much more contango, not less contango, or in this case, a total absence of contango so that the entire curve moved into backwardation. That's the big mystery here, and the next several charts are going to look at that from a number of different angles. The other thing that we can theorize is, well, maybe what's going on is because President Trump has talked about this trade war and the imposition of tariffs on China and so forth, maybe the selling pressure is on those longer-dated contracts, that we're not moving the curve as we usually do by the front month, but it's pressure on the back months that's taking the curve down. Well, the thing is, if that was the case, you would expect to see the back month move down even more than the front month. And that's not what we see here. As indicated by the double-arrowed gold line there, the movement in price in the low point is really not that much compared to the much larger movement in price at the very front of the curve. So that doesn't explain it. The other thing that's happened, indicated by the green lines here, is the bottom point, the lowest price throughout the curve there is way out in the summer of 22 in uh, on the right-hand green line. And then just a week later, it goes 14 months earlier into, it looks like, May of 21. So we've seen both a shift in the shape of the curve and a very unexplained shift at the very beginning of the curve from what was previously contango just a week ago, we would have expected with the price collapse that there would be much more contango. Instead, we get backwardation. It's very, very puzzling. Let's go ahead and move on to slide number three. This one is one that I tweeted just uh, after the Trump tweet. So this is a couple of days old. What you see here is that I've taken each of the spaces between those two dots and plotted them as a price. So each one of these lines represents the difference in price between two dots on that chart on the previous page. The dashed lines that you see mostly toward the bottom of the chart are the 2019 one-month time spreads. The solid lines above that are the 2020 time spreads. And there's only just a couple of just the first couple of months, red and green that you see are January and February of uh, 2021 time spreads from January, February and February, March. So that's what these lines are saying. And although the magnitude of the moves is quite different from different places on the curve, generally the lines are all going in the same direction. At any given moment in time, they're either going up together or they're going down together. They're just going up or down with a different magnitude based on how close they are to the front of the curve. But then we get over to President Trump's tweet near the right-hand side of the page, the purple vertical line. What happens is we had the price of oil rallying that was taking all of the time spreads higher all across the curve from the 2019s to the 2020s and even those couple of 21s. They're all going straight up. Then comes President Trump's tweet saying that we're going to have a trade war with China again. 
Well, what happens is the backside of the curve, the longer dated contracts, the ones that were in backwardation already, that backwardation starts to come out of the market. The backwardation is actually collapsing as those dots get closer together as the price comes down. Totally expected that you would see backwardation coming out of the market because what's happening is the world is expecting that there's going to be a global trade slowdown, perhaps even a global recession, and that means that there's going to be less demand for oil, less tightness, less backwardation. It all makes perfect sense. But now look at the bottom of the chart. The short-dated contracts, the ones that were in Contango, you would expect them as the backwardation is coming out of the back of the curve, you'd expect them to be going down at the same time that the rest are going down from Contango into deeper Contango. But instead, they're rocketing higher into backwardation. So the part of the curve that we would expect to move into steeper contango is instead moving into backwardation, even as the rest of the curve is coming out of backwardation. Now, the only thing that would normally explain that that I can think of is some kind of logistic event, you know, fires in Canada that prevent them from sending oil down or a malfunction on the Keystone pipeline or something that would cause a short-term disruption in the supply of oil into Cushing, Oklahoma, would explain what we're seeing, but we don't have any news to match it. Let's go ahead and move on now to the next slide, the one that is labeled quarterly time spreads. On this one, we're really looking at the same thing as the last one, but we're using each line to represent three months instead of one month, just to declutter the chart a little bit so that we can see it better. Now, the trick with this chart is, generally speaking, the lines are going to be moving in the same direction. What you're looking for, what would indicate an anomaly or something wrong, is when the lines are intersecting one another at acute angles. And for the most part, all across this chart, the direction is, for the most part, the same. Now, the nearest contract, that is the blue line, that represents the time spreads from September of 2019 to December of 2019. And the U to Z9 is just futures trader lingo for September to December. That blue one has the most volatility because it's closest to expiration, but it's still doing pretty much the same thing as the rest of the chart until you get to President Trump's tweet. We had seen that all of the spreads were moving up together just before the tweet, but immediately upon President Trump's tweet, the back of the curve does a U-turn and goes straight down. That's backwardation coming out of the market. But the really curious part is those first three months, they were moving up in sympathy. You'd expect them to reverse and reverse hard to the downside, moving back into deeper and deeper contango as the market sold off. But as the market sold off, they just went into outright backwardation, something that you would never expect under these circumstances unless there was a logistic interruption of some kind. Moving on to the next chart, it's the same chart, quarterly time spreads, same exact chart we just looked at. This version has five-minute intervals as opposed to daily intervals, so we're only looking at the last month or so worth of data. 
what I've done here is to, first of all, label backwardation is above the gold line, contango is below the gold line. So the blue line represents the first three months. That's September through December of 2019. U to Z9 that you see on the legend over there is just futures trader lingo for September through December of 2019. And we see that from about the 19th of July, those first three months were in contango. That's the upward sloping condition of those first few dots on the term structure chart. And he stayed that way right through July. He was starting to get a little bit close and just barely peeking their head into about a flat curve or just a tiny bit of backwardation. We got the FOMC meeting and that caused the whole curve to start selling off because after the FOMC, the stock market started selling off. That took crude oil prices down with it. As crude oil prices were coming down, that was taking backwardation out of the market. So everything started selling off together. It was significant, but it was relatively modest until we got to President Trump's tweet. When we got to President Trump's tweet, all of a sudden, the longer dated contracts. Now, I explained before that the light blue line at the bottom is September through December. The next one in chronological order is going to be the white line, which is December of 2019 through March of 2020. And you can't see the legend underneath it, but the light green, mint green colored line, which uh, if you could read it, would say H0-M0. That's March of 2020 through June of 2020. And then the next one would be the orange one, which, as you see there, it says M0-U0. That, again, is futures trader lingo for June of 2020 through September of 2020. So what we can see is that those longer dated contracts in that area of the term structure that was in steep backwardation, the, the higher up on the chart it is, the more backwardation there was. Where the most backwardation was, it started selling off with FOMC, but it really took a nosedive after President Trump's tweet. Makes perfect sense because as the market is selling off, we expect backwardation to become less backwardation. We also expect contango to become more contango. All the lines are expected to go downhill on the chart in reaction to the FOMC and President Trump. And that's exactly what they do for a while. But the next day, that would be Friday, all of a the sudden, there is a, a big move up just in those first three months. They come out of contango into a very noticeable backwardation, even as the backwardation is coming completely out of the rest of the market. Then we get to the open on Monday morning, right at the nine o'clock open, which is indicated by the vertical red dotted line there inside the leftmost yellow oval. We see this almost five minutes or so it took to just rocket those time spreads higher. Why in the heck would you expect that to happen. Normally, to see time spreads at the front of the curve suddenly rocket higher, it means that a pipeline went offline, there, there's a, something went wrong, and you can't get oil into Cushing, Oklahoma, and everybody's afraid that there's going to be a shortage. We don't have a shortage. We have collapsing prices with expectations of too much oil. It doesn't make any sense. It starts to come out of the market, but then as we get into today's close, just coming up on between 2 o'clock and 2.30, we go shooting up there. That's the right yellow oval at the very right edge of the chart. 
takes us up to 24 cents on U9 to Z9. Now, even as this chart was prepared just after the close, even in the time that we have been taping today's interview, it shot up further all the way to 36 cents above the orange line. So what's going on here? Why is suddenly all of this backwardation coming into the very front end of the curve is if somebody expects something's about to go badly wrong and there's not going to be enough oil in Cushing, even as the rest of the curve is very aggressively selling off out of backwardation. The whole thing doesn't make sense to me. So Pat Hemsworth, I know that you guys at Paragon Global Markets are really on top of these kinds of issues because it has a lot to do. I think it's a signal that has to do with logistics in the market. I can't figure this out. I am totally baffled by it. And listeners, if there's anybody in the audience who knows more than we do, please send us an email or or a tweet. We'd love to hear your perspective. Pat, what's your take? What's going on here with this big picture? I sure can't figure it out. Well, one thing that just occurred to me as you were speaking is that the EIA numbers, first of all, are estimates. And so, but also according to the EIA report, we're at 96.4%. Is that it? The uh, utilization right now. So, Business goes on. People are buying crude to uh, to refine. But I think that the back end of the curve, we can explain collapsing in that there is some perception of lack of demand on the um, the back end of the uh, of 19. As far as the extended curve is concerned, I think there's a lot of things affecting that. Number one, you know, right now, this folds into the discussion about WTI Brent. I was discussing with a with a friend of mine today about the Brent WTI and why that spread is, I mean, it's tightening for reasons, complicated reasons to do with Brent, but also WTI in that there's an expectation of greater ability to export in 2020. So as we get through 2020, what starts to happen is that we have long-term hedging, so that's a depressant on the price, but then fighting that is the expectation of more exports because of the increased infrastructure. So, you know, I, I can explain the kind of slope and then the slight up curve at, towards the end of 2020 by that, by the fact that there's an anticipation of increased exports out of the U.S. What I don't have an answer to, and it seems as though this is really what is is getting to you, is just that very near-term movement, you know, in the in the very front end of the market, which I agree, that surprised me on Monday morning. That The market had been sort of waffling around, like if we just looked at September, October, you know, the spread was late last week was like minus seven, you know, then it started getting close to flat. And then, and then on Monday morning, I was doing something, turned around and looked at that spread. And it was like, whoa, in a second, it just, it just rallied up. So you're right that there was some kind of sharp move there in the spread and that the, the movement is in the front end of the market. 
Pat, you're exactly on the issue that is perplexing me the most. What we're seeing here, to, to kind of summarize this big picture for any of our listeners who may not be quite as much of a term structure geek as Pat and I are, is we got this news from the president about essentially reigniting a trade war that sets expectations of lower demand in the coming year for oil, if there's a potential of this bringing on a major global trade slowdown and potentially also having impacts on the ability to export oil. And so you would expect that there would be less backwardation and more contango all across the curve. And what happened is the backside of the curve collapsed exactly like you would expect it to, and it collapsed big time. I think we might be headed for structural contango throughout the entire curve if this continues. But the front of the curve, which is usually the part that gets beaten the hardest to the downside, when the price sells off, usually it is rapidly, rapidly increasing contango, which is another way of saying decreasing backwardation, backwardation turning negative, which is what contango is. We see the exact opposite. And the only way that I know how to interpret that is somebody has some reason to think that there is suddenly going to be a, a crisis shortage of oil that's going to draw down all of the rest of the oil in the tanks in Cushing, Oklahoma, and lead to a critical storage situation where we don't have enough oil. How the heck could that be happening in a situation where the entire rest of the curve is reflecting what the headlines say, which is less demand and potentially a global slowdown. It doesn't make any sense. Well, it might not be less demand immediately. That might be the issue. I mean, we're operating at 96.4% utilization. So, you know, life goes on and the refiners are continuing and the uh, doomsday scenario is uh, further out on the curve. I wonder if someone is thinking export all that you possibly can while you still can before the export controls go into effect. Certainly, if someone had reason to believe that, that they were about to announce that effective January 1st, it's going to be illegal to export U.S. oil to China, and somebody had an incentive to export every barrel they possibly could before the deadline, that would almost explain this, wouldn't it? Yeah, but I can't imagine that happening, though. I'm utterly baffled, Pat. It sounds like you are too. Art Berman, what about you? Any insights into why we would be getting this signal that there's about to be a very short-term squeeze and not enough oil in Cushing, Oklahoma, even as the rest of the market thinks there's going to be too much oil next year? Well, I wish I had a, a clear answer for you, Eric, but I will say a couple of things. And, and So I think that, that, that part of what's going on is that, yeah, we, we, we seem to have more oil than, than we need, or at least that's the perception right now, but that's not what the, the global supply balance is telling us. The global supply balance is saying we're in a deficit right now, and we expect to be in a deficit for the rest of this year and beyond this year. It's all speculation, and they always think uh, we're going to have a huge glut coming on. So the market is, is, is somewhat conflicted or, or confused between the sentiment and the Trump tweets and, and all that, and yet the, the actual balance is telling us something else. I'll point out two other things which I, I find rather interesting. The first is back to our friend, uh, Unaccounted for Oil. Last week, when we were struggling to understand why the storage report did what it did, I pointed out, gee, Unaccounted for Oil actually 
went to a negative for the first time in a long time. Guess what it did this week, Eric? <laughs> it went back to positive. So maybe Chris can, can comment a bit more on unaccounted for oil, but it does seem to be an interesting indicator of, of which way things are going. Final point I'll make. You talked a lot about Cushing, Oklahoma. Cushing comparative inventory decreased by 1.2 million barrels this week. Pad 3, Gulf Coast, took a monstrous increase. It went up 8 million barrels, went back into oversupply from supply deficit, which is where it was the week before. What's the difference between Cushing and, and Pad 3? Cushing is all oil. It's crude oil, and it's mostly light, sweet crude oil. Pad 3, all kinds of stuff. Uh, sour oil, heavier oil from the Gulf of Mexico, certainly you know, a fair amount of light oil, also products. Okay. So, so we're getting, we're getting mixed signals here on where the storage is going. Final thing, we haven't talked about Brent and, and I'll leave it to, to you term structure experts to, you know, to follow this up. But we saw a huge drop in Brent, much larger in terms of front month price than WTI, a tremendous change in the 12 month spread. WTI didn't didn't have all that much. So WTI, even though the price went down a lot, you know, we only saw something like 22 cents of change, whereas on Brent, it went down almost a dollar. So, and we've seen that too. You know, Pat has talked about the the Brent premium to WTI and, and we're seeing more supply coming in from the North Sea. So Brent has been falling relative to WTI. Final point on that Brent spread yeah, it's falling, but it's falling pretty much consistent with seasonal five-year average. So, you know, it wasn't for a while, but now it is. You know, may, maybe this is, you know, you get accustomed to what's happened in the last few weeks, and anything that changes you think is a big deal. So just a word of caution, and, and I said it was a final comment, but, you know, what if the Trump tweet is correlation without causation? I get it, you know, I, and you can't ignore it, but it does seem like there's a bit more going on here than, you know, another Trump tweet. Uh, we're already pretty negative on the trade situation already. So I, I'm just putting that out there. Thanks so much for that, Art. Chris Cook, I know you have tremendous passion for forward curves. What the hell's going on here? Yeah, well, you know, like, uh, like they, a similar episode that Pat referred to back in May, and it takes me back to what we saw that time in 2009, the super contango with the rising market. And then we get the backwardation with the, um, the falling market, you know, same syndrome. And I just think that what we're seeing, there's an overlay on this market of, you know, financial happenings, financial movements that we, we just can't see. For me, these, these aberrations in, in storage, you know, these unaccounted, they, these have a practical cause, I think. And I think it's a financial cause. It's the movement of the economic value of, uh, of oil rather than oil itself, flicking backwards and forwards, not visible to the market. That's one point. Secondly, down the curve, I don't think it's got anything at all, anything at all to do with expectations in the physical market at all. It's to do with the yield curve. It's to do with the, the forward price of money. And I think what we've seen is a, is a lump of capital moving maybe out of the market. Whereas before, the lump back in 2009, it was a lump of capital going into the market. You know, essentially, it's, uh, in my view, it's, it's use of prepay. And this is probably what happens when money comes out of the market. And 
And and I think you know if if you now look at Art's uh, slides, the the comparison of the forward curves in WTI and Brent now, you know they're they're looking they're looking very similar. You know you're taking the contango out as uh, as 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 you were saying, Eric. You know, and and these curves are looking very very similar. And for me, what's what's happening down the curve is it, we're seeing. We're seeing capital, big chunks of capital that have been supporting prices. This is my view, the, the big long. I actually think we've seen a chunk of capital coming out of the market, and that, that's what's whipsawing things around. Now, I know this is a completely unconventional <laughs> unconventional explanation, but let's face it, that's where markets come from. Somebody comes out with unconventional ideas. But down, you know, down the curve, this is a financial market. In my view, it's got nothing whatever to do with physical expectations, nothing. And you'll see the that the, the forward curves will be moving around with the um, you know with the yield curve in uh, in dollars. That's my view. This is financial action uh, as much as it's anything. Quite why the reaction to the different you know to whether it's the Trump's tweets and whatnot, the the forward it might certainly you get financial expectations, you know. Um, no question you have financial expectations, and that might account for the reactions to Trump's tweets that people have, you know, the, the financiers have a view as to what's going to happen in the future. But it certainly, in my view, is is not the physical market expectations because you don't find refiners down the curve doing this. You just don't. So that's that's my unconventional take. Folks, in the interest of time, we're going to need to leave the term structure conversation there. If there's anyone who understands this better than I do, I certainly welcome your edification. It is a complete mystery to me as to what's going on, particularly in the first six months of the term structure that are rapidly tightening as uh, as the further out term structure is easing in WTI, and I can't make sense of it. In any event, before we uh, wrap the show for today, Chris Cook, yuan devaluation, how does it affect energy markets? What do we need to know about the yuan breaking Seven and the news that came out this week. Well, uh, just to say that, and this is what I was trying. I think maybe not particularly well to uh, to say earlier. The point is that one dollar euro are priced in energy. Energy is not priced in one dollar and euro. So my my take is very simple. That uh, you know it's the energy markets which is affecting the one. It's not the one. Dif- actually affecting the energy market. That's all I have to say on that subject. Thanks so much for that, Chris. Listeners, we need your help putting the word out that there's a new podcast in town and we intend to become the definitive weekly information source for energy traders, investors, and others interested in energy markets. You can subscribe to Macro Voices on iTunes or at macrovoices.com and you'll also gain access to our Thursday night podcast, which has a much more general macroeconomic focus. We're also looking for sponsors so that we can keep all of our Macro Voices content free to you, the listener. To save time here in the podcast, I've put a video together explaining the sponsorship opportunity. That's at macrovoices.com forward slash sponsor info. If your company is interested in sponsoring Macro Voices Energy Week, please email me at info at macrovoices.com. What a fantastic opportunity to reach an enlightened, intelligent audience of energy traders and investors who are serious about markets. Can't do better than right here at Macro Voices. Before we close, I want to ask each of our panelists what they're going to be looking for in the week ahead in energy markets. Art Berman, let's start with you. What are you going to be watching for in the week ahead? 
I'm going to be watching for the IEA and OPEC reports and see how that fits together with uh, what we've gotten from, from EIA. I think that there, there are some clues to what's going on with term structure that are somehow embedded in these forecasts, even though people tend to dismiss them. I don't. I think that they are a very good summary of current information that doesn't in any way mean they're right. So that's what I'm looking for. Thanks so much for that, Art. Pat Hemsworth, what are you going to be watching in the week ahead? Well, I'll be watching uh, all of the product spreads, and uh, I'll be watching the particularly um, gasoline as we begin to uh, to wind down the season. And uh, also, I'm very interested in what's happening with distillate as well. So uh, I'll be watching those and, and, of course, the Brent WTI and all of the various different spreads. And Chris Cook, what are you going to be watching for in the week ahead? I'm with you, Eric. I have a complete fascination with the curves. I'm interested in, in particular in the relationship with WTI and uh, and Brent, and where's you know the, where that's going, and and if it goes, if the market keeps falling, then I could see us heading into Katango on both markets actually, and I could see Brent WTI coming in uh, substantially too. If, as I suspect, the capital there is a capital flow out of the markets, that is what I would expect to happen. Thanks so much for that, Chris. Macro Voices Energy Week is released every Wednesday evening. Next week's panel includes Dr. Anas Alhaji, Joe McMonagle, and Tracy Shukart. But before we let this week's panel go, I'd like to ask each of you to please tell our listeners where they can follow your work and learn more about what you do. Let's start with Art Berman at ArtBerman.com. ArtBerman.com and at AEBerman12 on Twitter. I'm always on both, mostly on Twitter. Or you can send an email to my business manager, which is businessmanager at artberman.com. Fantastic. Thanks so much. Pat Hemsworth, please tell us not only how to contact you, but also about the daily letter that you write that's available free to our listeners if they want to subscribe. Oh, sure. I'm on Twitter at P. Hemsworth, and I tweet... A lot of, I, I tweet a lot of um, very current kind of market-breaking things with charts and, and relationships, and it, it might be interesting for your listeners. Also, I can be reached by email at phemsworth at paragonglobalmarkets.com. I'll be happy to send you my, uh, my daily report if you would just kindly tell me what your interest in energy is. And Chris Cook, how can our listeners follow your work? You can follow my work at Twitter at C-J-E-N-S-C-O-O-K, that's C Jens Cook. And you can also get in touch with me on um, at, uh, C Jens Cook at googlemail.com. Thanks so much, Chris. And I want to thank all of our panelists for another fantastic show. For the Macro Voices Podcast Network, I'm Eric Townsend. See you next week, everybody. concludes this edition of Macro Voices. Be sure to tune in each week to hear feature interviews with the brightest minds in finance and macroeconomics. Please register your free account at macrovoices.com. Once registered, you'll receive our free weekly research roundup email containing links to supporting documents from our featured guests and the very best free financial content our volunteer research team could find on the internet each week. You'll also gain access to our free research library. 
And the more registered users we have, the more we'll be able to recruit high-profile feature interview guests for future programs. So please register your free account today at macrovoices.com if you haven't already. You can subscribe to Macro Voices on iTunes to have Macro Voices automatically delivered to your mobile device each week free of charge. Macro Voices is presented for informational and entertainment purposes only. The information presented on Macro Voices should not be construed as investment advice. Always consult a licensed investment professional before making investment decisions. The views and opinions expressed on Macro Voices are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's hosts or sponsors. Macro Voices, its producers, sponsors, and hosts, Eric Townsend, shall not be liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on Macro Voices. Macro Voices.